Hey Sabres fans, this is Josh Eppinger here on the Sabres Talk Podcast. I'm joined by my friend Mark Geis. Um, you know, I was watching the Sabres game on Monday night. They are playing in Washington, and uh, I saw this handsome-looking devil in the back of a photo that the Sabres tweeted. Uh, did you catch that by any chance, Mark? Yeah, I did happen to see that. Uh, I was at the game. I was following the displaced Sabres fans Twitter page, and I know that at away games they tend to try to get Sabres fans together for a picture. The Sabres typically promote it, and I heard that Brian Duff talked about it on the broadcast. I didn't end up watching the broadcast afterward, but that he had kind of given a shout-out to the Sabres fans at the game. But, yeah, I got to take in the game. It was my first ever away Sabres game. I've seen other games at other arenas not involving the Sabres, but it was the first time I'd ever seen a Sabres game not at HSBC Arena, Marine Midland Arena, Key Bank Center, First Niagara Center, all the different names that that the arena in Buffalo has had. So it was a good time. It wasn't the desired outcome, but it was it was a lot of fun to see all the Sabres pride there. And I know that Buffalo has a lot of fans all over the country because of how many people have been displaced just through kind of a long stretch of stagnation in the Buffalo economy. But uh, people came out. It, there, there were a lot of shout songs coming out in the uh, in the hallways and in the crowd. I heard a few going on, and I was joining in. I saw somebody wearing a Bills jersey, too, which was pretty cool. <laughs> Stephon crazy. Gilmore wouldn't have been the one I would have expected. Huh. South Carolina um, and then player. Sabres fans were wearing a lot of fake jerseys, I have to say. I saw a lot of Chinese jerseys in the crowd, and I'm all about trying to save money but some of them were pretty blatant so yeah if you got a good gonna... knockoff it, that's uh acceptable but you get a bad one it's it's kind of it can be comical too which is you know sometimes a good thing yeah definitely it's it's entertaining to me i love pointing them out and i i like fake jerseys for that reason alone i think they do force the the nhl teams and the the nhl as a whole to keep themselves honest a little bit and to keep prices a little bit lower because if prices are at a certain point, nobody will buy knockoffs. But when you're trying to sell jerseys for $175 or you know even $200 in a lot of cases, of course people are going to go out and buy $40 knockoff jerseys. And even if one out of only one out of four is actually good, people are still saving money by going that route. So I like knockoff jerseys just for that reason and for the pure entertainment value <laughs> alone. Um, uh, but but my section and the two right around me were more than 50% Sabres fans, and uh, that was that was really cool to see. I felt almost like I was taking in a home game. That's cool. I'm glad to see uh, my buddy and uh, fellow co-host on the, the podcast here was uh, representing the blue and gold down in Washington, D.C. at our nation's capital. Uh, so I'm Definitely, glad yeah. I, w- I wasn't getting any inroads on us getting any – press credentials or anything be able to do a live show but <laughs> over time i guess we'll have to we'll have to be patient about that yeah 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 of course um but you know so it's been three games since we lost last talked to you sabers fans and uh the sabers have accumulated three points in those three games uh we played boston which was a loss and uh washington which is the overtime loss that we were just talking about and we just beat edmonton uh you want to run us through those games mark Definitely, yeah. So uh, as Josh said in that brief recap, the first game was on Saturday night, the th- or uh, Saturday afternoon, the third. Uh, Sabres lost two to one in regulation. This was a kind of a plotting game, not a, not a very entertaining one to watch. 
not a ton of scoring chances. Defensive, I think it was the type of game that both Claude Julien and Dan Bilesma would would have liked to play, but oftentimes the games that coaches like are the ones that fans dislike the most. Yeah. Uh, was... So Boston Boston came out, they they took the lead in the first period on a David Krejci goal and then uh That's a great they deflection. went up they went up two nothing in the uh in the third period, the Sabres answered soon after Evander Kane's first of the season, uh, but the Sabres weren't able to to tie it up and you know weren't really able to to threaten much at all down the stretch in that game. No. weren't really even able to make it too interesting. Uh, so yep. regulation loss there, obviously no no points came out of that game. Uh, and then on Monday, that was the game that that I was attending. It was in Washington. Sabres ended up losing three to two. In overtime on uh, on a Marcus Johansson goal, so the Sabers came out to a one nothing lead. Zemgus Gurgensen's very strong play, very strong uh, getting to the net. That was great to see from him. Mm-hmm. And uh, a good little outlet Washington pass from and Grant too. Definitely, definitely, yeah. And that was that was nice to see Grant. Some of the offense that we saw from him in the preseason for him to to make a play and to, and to put a teammate in a great position. Uh, and then the Capitals ended up tying it up in the second period on a Jay Beagle goal. Uh, and then the and then the Sabres went ahead on a Kyle Oposo goal late in the second period. And then Marcus Johansson ended up scoring late in the game in the third period on a power play. I'm going to rant about the entire sequence leading up to that power play later, but I'm, I'm not going to do that now during the recap portion. And then, like I said, Marcus Johansson scored in uh, in overtime, basically was left alone in a prime scoring position and was able to blast a one-timer home to to win the game for Washington. All right. uh, and then then the next night, the Sabres ended up pulling one out of the hat. It was kind of the opposite, whereas the Washington game, he felt pretty good about the Sabres' chances overall. They did have some stretches where they gave up a lot of chances, but uh, they blew that game late. And then in this game the Sabres were able to score late and force overtime and end up winning in overtime, which we don't get to talk about them winning in overtime too often. Uh, but Evander Kane scored his second of the year, so his second goal during during this uh, this stretch here. Uh, Brian Gianta also scored in the, for, in the first period to put the Sabres up 2 to nothing, And then Edmonton scored the next three goals, so two goals in the second period, a goal in the third period from Jordan Eberle, Milan Lucic, our favorite, and Leon Dreisaitl. And then Evander Kane, like I had said, scored late. And then Rasmus Ristolainen on an absolute bomb cool. ended up winning the game. Uh, Ryan O'Reilly had two assists in the game. Ristolainen also had two assists in addition to his overtime goal. So, Josh, I'm going to open it up back to you. I just rambled for a while because we had to go through three games. But we yeah. can start wherever you would like to, and we'll go from there. Well, um, you know, let's, um, let's start off with what you left off on there with uh, Rasmus Ristolainen. I got a couple things written down here. Um, it's been 694 minutes and seven seconds since Rasmus Ristolainen scored his last goal. Um, in the last two games, Ristolainen's been on the ice for 59 minutes and 49 seconds with one goal and three assists. Uh, pretty strong play from the young uh, right-handed defenseman there, Mark. Uh, I, I noticed on uh, on Twitter here, actually, that... Uh, some of the analytics guys were giving uh, Ristolainen some crap uh, after Monday night's game against Washington, saying 
the Sabres penalty kill has been terrible lately. And what's what's killing the Sabres penalty kill, Travis Yost said. And uh, he said that he's giving up 142 shots against uh, against shorthanded in, in 60 minutes. He's given an average this year. Uh, and this is where analytics could be, you know, maybe not – a good part, a good uh, turning point, a good, uh, a good point to uh, bring up because Rissa Line has been on the ice, or like I said, fifty nine minutes and forty nine seconds in the last two games alone. Uh, what do you think about Rasmus' plays so far late of late? Well, I think he has been incredible over the last few games. He's played about thirty minutes per game over that span. I know that two of the games went to overtime, so that inflates his ice time a little bit, but not by a whole lot. And for him to step up the way that he has with all the injuries on this defense, and he's been one of the few consistent players out there. Jake McCabe also. Cody Franson has been consistently in the lineup. But the other three spots around those guys have been fluctuating all year, and Ristolainen's burden has gotten more and more intense over time. Jake McCabe's burden has also increased because he's thrived. He's been one of the other consistent members of this defense. But what this team needs out of Ristolainen is offensive production. They need him to be a stud defender. I still think he's learning how to be a stud defender, and that's why he isn't an analytics darling. And he hasn't been in the past. He's been on some very bad teams, and he's been thrust into positions that a defenseman of his age really shouldn't be thrust into. And as a result, things don't always look good statistically with him. Mm-hmm. He's not perfect, and he's he's still learning how to be that number one defenseman. But you saw over these last few games, the minutes that he can play, he doesn't wear down either. A lot of defensemen you see when they, when they play over 25 minutes versus when they play a more manageable 21, 22, 23, you start to see some, you know, some worsening of their play. But you don't really see that with Ristolainen. He, he almost out. seems to get better the more that he plays. Yeah, uh, you you want and him then on you, the ice, right? Right with this with this uh, current uh, six defenseman that we've been playing with these last three games. You want him on the ice as much as possible. Sorry, definitely, and they're fighting for their they're fighting for their lives really every night. They're fighting to stay in this playoff race, and I know that. It may sound alarmist to people when they think, oh, it's still so early in the season. We're only 26 games in. But you can get yourself out of this race pretty quickly. So I think Bilesman needs to ride Ristolainen and hope that Kulikov and Bogosian are healthy down the stretch and that you're able to manage Ristolainen's minutes more because he can't do this all year. He will wear down playing 28, 29, 30 minutes a night on a nightly basis all year. But you saw his offensive upside in these games, and that's what they need. He is one of the few players on this back end that can that can consistently bring offense, and that is what they need, especially when they do struggle to score up front. Yeah, and you know him burying the first one of the year on Tuesday. Uh, that should get he got the monkey off his back. You know what I'm saying? He's he give him some he might get some confidence, and maybe we'll even see some more offense production on him with some more uh, goal tallies. That's what I'm hoping. I'm I, I'm also hoping on the penalty kill. I saw that exact tweet that you're talking about, and I I don't know if Yost was necessarily trying to imply that Ristolainen is the reason behind the Sabres penalty kill. I didn't look at the tweets surrounding it. I just looked at that. I think he was more posting 
just look at these numbers, look at these incredible numbers. Like this is eye popping, and you don't see yeah these type of shots against numbers per 60 minutes on the penalty kill. You just don't see those kinds of numbers. But I think the sample size is small enough that it would be irresponsible to try to lay the blame on Ristolainen. I think we should talk about the penalty kill too, and we can get back to Ristolainen if you have anything else to say. But I did want to make sure yeah, while yeah. it came up that I made this point. Um, that I think one of the big reasons why the penalty kill has struggled so much is trying to force feed Brian Gianta minutes on the penalty kill. And they try to force feed him along with Johan Larson minutes together on the penalty kill. And so much of what the penalty kill is about is being able to cover space. The more space that you can cover, the more you can challenge the defenseman, the more you can challenge potential shooters, and the more the more space you can cover. Also, a function of how much space you can cover is your reach. Brian Gianta has very limited reach due to his size, and he's always been that way, but what he always had was tremendous lateral quickness. But as he's gotten older, that lateral quickness isn't really there anymore. It's declining. It's still functional. But I think putting him out there with Johan Larson, whose skating also isn't his strong suit it makes it very difficult for them to get out to the points it makes it very difficult for them to cover a lot of space so i'm taking issue with force feeding brian gianta so many minutes and you can't just blame one player obviously the the defensive core around wrist and has been a big reason for this too Uh, but the fact that evander kane isn't getting penalty kill minutes i think is extremely questionable yeah when he's causing most of the penalties too um, actually, Evander That's Kane, true. Evander, Evander Kane was actually where uh, I wanted to touch once we started this off. Was I can't remember the specific goal, but I think it was in Washington when you were there. Um, Kane uh, collapsed in the, on the penalty kill and got caught down too low. And I was uh, Carlson's goal, I want to say. This scored the... I think it was Carlson... Uh, Kane tried to get a front. He was down in the faceoff dot, and he scrambled to get a front of the shot, but he was too little, too late. And uh, I'm pretty sure it was Carlson who uh, drove it home for uh, for uh, Washington there. Yeah, yeah, I believe I'm. I, I'm trying to see the Maybe that exact goal that you're talking about. I I do remember the play, yeah. and I didn't remember it being specifically Evander Kane, but getting caught low on that penalty kill, and I think it was John Carlson. Yeah, and that would make sense if it was if it was Evander Kane. And those things are going to happen. That's one of the things we've talked about Evander Kane being a flawed player, uh, but I think that. Yeah, Joe Hansen taking everything, that. taking everything that he brings, and he has great reach and great lateral mobility, great speed. And of course, those aren't the only things you need to be a good penalty killer. You need to be smart and responsible, and and feed off your teammates and know where your teammates are going to be. Uh, but I think allowing him to get into that rotation would be ideal, and easing the burden off of off of Gianta, I think would be would be wise. Well, what, what do you think about? Um... If you noticed uh, Tuesday night, uh, the Oilers play Connor McDavid on the penalty kill. I think that's strictly just because his speed and, uh, you know, just to take a puck and go with it. If there's one guy there, he's going to blow by him. Uh, I 100% agree. That was one of the... That was one of the reasons why that popped into my mind and why I I took a note down to talk about this, talk about the penalty kill. Uh, Obviously, yes, McDavid is is responsible, 
and I think he'd make a, a great penalty killer, even if he wasn't a threat to score when he was on the ice. But it's tough for you as a coach to put your star player in that type of situation where you're expected to block shots. You never know when he's going to take one in the face or take one in the ankle because really the forwards on a, on the penalty killer are in such a dangerous situation at the NHL level. But they put him out there because he creates chances and he disrupts the opposing power play, and he's too valuable not to have out there in that situation. And ideally, I think Jack Eichel could be used in a, in a similar way. I don't know if I want him to be used that way right now while he's still kind of coming back from injury, but I think when he is the player that he ultimately will be, I would hope that he's used in that in that similar kind of way. Would you would you agree with that with Eichel eventually? Yeah, we would yeah absolutely. Not, that, probably that not way. this year at all. To give him, you know, time. I mean, that I want to see him healthy, you know. But uh, yeah, I'd love to. I would love to see him in a spot where, you know, he could just take a puck and be gone. He has that initial step. He has that that breakaway speed. So that'd be very interesting to see. Um, definitely. Uh, did you have anything else to say about Ristolainen? I know I kind of took us right off of that that topic. Oh. Yeah, you know, I'm not too worried about it. Uh, if I think about it, I'll shout it out later. Uh, okay. Um, but uh, it's a uh, that Oilers game was a game that I I believe, you know, wasn't like you said earlier, wasn't a game that we really looked good in. At. Actually, uh, Edmonton, uh, actually, in terms of Corsi, uh, dominated us pretty much the entire game. Uh, but it was nice seeing the team come come together and get a last second goal. I mean, how many how many years we don't see that out of a Buffalo team? The empty net goals. I mean, we haven't seen that in a long time. So uh, it was definitely. Cool I mean, I that. almost turn the I almost want to turn the games off most times when they're down by a goal and they and they pull the goalie with a minute and a half left. It's like uh, they're they're not going to score. They're just not good in six on five situations, and they haven't been for a long time. But they managed to get one. They managed to get some bounces to go their way, and this team needs that. They've had a lot of games where bounces have gone against them, so I think they are due a little bit for a couple games that maybe they shouldn't win to go their way. So it was nice to see that. I'm not, I didn't leave that game, or I didn't stop watching that game and feel happy about the result or feel happy about the team afterwards. But a win's a win, and yeah. you have to, you know, you have to at least be happy about that fact. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, and it was interesting. You know, I, I know we I've been harping on the the last game Tuesday night with Edmonton uh, in Buffalo, but uh, that's the second uh, Eichel versus McDavid game in the NHL level, and uh, it's been it was really it was really nice to watch it and actually get that win. Felt good for Jack. It felt good for the team. Um, another player who's been standing out to me a little bit as of late, and I'd like to get your opinion on it, Mark, is uh, Sam Reinhart. Um, if we flash back that to to um, Monday's game in Washington where you're at, Reinhart was really uh, – his man was Johansson who was, you know, just slapped that puck in. And I know you had uh, something you want to talk about with that, but, you know, it, with Reinhart, it's – you know it's been tough on him still. I still the last this last three games, 
it hasn't looked too hot for him. And, you know, you see him and Jack trying to build the chemistry up, but it's uh it's kinda it's kinda tough for me to watch um Reinhardt as of late, you know, taking the puck off the off the post there in Edm in Buffalo against Edmonton when Jack uh sauced one up to him. It was like, man, I thought I thought that was the game. After that post I was like, nah, we're done. Uh so I was kinda curious to see what you thought about Sam. Yeah, and that well in that particular game I wasn't extremely impressed with Reinhardt. That line as a whole didn't do much and a big part of that was because Eichel was gimpy and wasn't skating right the whole rest mm -hmm. of the game after he after he left in pain and was and was crying on the bench, yelling out in in pain on the bench. Uh so part of it was Eichel not being himself. But I think when you think of Sam Reinhardt, you think of a second overall pick, you think of a player that basically the Sabres threw away a year for to be able to get a prospect of his caliber. He hasn't shown the ability to consistently be able to create for himself. And I think that's what separates very good players from great players. And yeah. I don't know if Sam Reinhardt's ever going to be a great player. Now, will I be ecstatic if he's a, a, a very good player, or will I be at least happy if he's a very good player? Yes, and, I, and I'm very confident he'll be a very good player, but I don't think he's ever going to be a player that can go out and get his. We talked about in, I believe it was our prior episode, talking about Jack Eichel being an alpha dog. Sam Reinhardt isn't an alpha dog, and I, I don't think he has that mentality. And not everybody has it, and you can't just expect a player to develop it out of nowhere. But I think him coming out last year, having the type of season that he had, and you see if he made the same kind of progression from last year to this year that he had made from two years ago to last year, you thought the sky's really the limit for him. And he's going to get stronger, and maybe he's going to be able to impose his will more. He's so good in front of the net. He's a good passer. He's got a nice shot. You know, all those kind of things you hoped would come together. But we really haven't seen him progress from last year. And he has been one of the more frustrating players to watch over time. Uh, yeah. How do you feel about about Sam? You, yeah, I, I feel about the same. Uh, you know, I expected a lot on out of him this year, and I think I've talked in – previous podcast about Reinhardt, you know, having a lot of pressure on him when Jack was gone and when Ryan O'Reilly was gone and Evander Kane was gone. Uh it it's been tough on him and you know, I I was really hoping when Jack got back that we would see the Jack and Sam show, but I just haven't seen it in these last three games. And I know yes, Jack was hurt in Washington and he's gonna play through those injuries and you know, he's not it's going to be tough on Jack. You know, he's not going to get that first jump off the puck that he usually is so well known for and flying flying up the boards or anywhere up the ice, really. Um, so I, I want to see Sam step it up. Uh, you know, you're looking at the guy sitting right behind him, Leon Dreisaitl, number third overall on the Oilers, had a goal in, uh, a goal in the last game against us. And... Uh, and, yeah, he's a very projectable player. I mean, I think yeah. at the time Sam Reinhart made sense. I support the pick. I'm not going to be critical of Murray for making that pick. But Dreisaitl, you can see there is still a ton of untapped upside there. And there still oh. is untapped upside with, with Reinhardt. He's not who he is at this Absolutely. point in time. He's going to continue to grow. But I think Dreisaitl, you look at his frame 
and if his defensive game really comes around too with his skill at his size and his ability to skate at his size, the sky is really the limit for him. Uh, so yeah. it'll be probably tough to watch him well, then you, over you time. Could, you could flip it the other way, though. I mean, who do you, I mean, and then, you know, Edmonton went eight with uh, – was it eight with Nurse and nine Buffalo went with Rissalainen in 13, 2013 there. So, uh, you know, it's – it's it's tough. It shows you you know scouting and being a GM is it you know and having your scouts. It's you know it's all it's all taking a chance still unless you're picking Jack Eichel, Connor McDavid, Austin Matthews, Patrick Line. So yeah, definitely, it's very hard to project out eighteen year olds, and you're gonna you're gonna win some, and you're gonna lose some. But obviously, the GM, whether fairly or unfairly will take the flack for some of those decisions. I don't think this is one that he should take. No, and we're not we're, for. and it, I th- I think I speak for both of us. We're not we're not saying that Sam Reinhart is a bust or anything like that. We're just saying it's just been discouraging watching in the last 3 games especially. For sure, for sure. And I think one thing I'm critical of and I don't know what your opinion is on this. I don't know if we've ever talked about this, but Last year was a developmental year. It was a year for players to grow. And I think it may have been irresponsible to not have Sam Reinhart play center last year, even if it was in more of a sheltered role. But basically, I think Bilesmo was trying to put together the best lineup from day one to win games. And so the best place was for Reinhardt to go to wing initially because wing is easier to learn. It's easier to be broken in at wing, and then he stayed at wing all year because of how poor that team's wing depth was. But I think it was almost a, it was looking at the short term rather than looking at the long term. Whereas if Sam Reinhardt had played center for most of last season, he probably would have been a lot more prepared to play center this year when players went down, and he would have been a more well-rounded player at this point in time. So, like I said, we've never talked about this. So I don't know what what your opinions are there. Um, I think. I think could Sam Reinhart play center at some point? Yeah, absolutely. Do I think the Sabres want him to play center? No. I think they want him to be with Jack Eichel. He want they want to keep those guys together. And uh I can't really blame him for that. I you know, especially if we're going to protect um um Johan Larson in the expansion draft. We really need to uh, – I mean, he's a great third-line center, I think. Uh, I just love the way he plays, you know, when I've talked about that before. So I think I think Reinhardt is uh, – I think he's going to be on the wing for a while, especially with the lack of death at wing, winger for this team. Yeah, and I think that's a good point, too, that maybe Johan Larson would not have emerged last year had you tried to roll with – um, Eichel, O'Reilly, and Reinhardt down the middle. That would have probably forced Larson to wing. You, you probably wouldn't have wanted him to to try to be the fourth line center. And David Legwand found a found a home as the fourth line center on that team last year. So that is a good point that maybe we wouldn't be talking about Johan Larson as an important piece on this team, and maybe he would just be another winger because he's looked far better at center than he has at wing during his time as a Sabre. Um, um, yeah, absolutely. Um, so, on to another important player here, Mark, is uh, uh, 19-year-old Brendan Gooley. He uh, came up on 
the first game that we've been talking about today, which is uh, on last Saturday against the Boston Bruins. Uh, what do you think about Gouley? Uh I think a lot. Of, I think our. I think the franchise and management's really excited about this kid, and I, I am too. Uh, I'd love to hear your opinion. Yeah, well, there's definitely a lot riding on him. He's the top defensive prospect in the system. They talked about him being close to making the team in both of the last two years, and I talked about him quite a bit on this podcast leading up to those decisions being made at the end of this year, and I was completely in favor of sending him back to juniors. I didn't want him to, you know, if he was going to stay, maybe get a couple games, but I didn't think that the NHL was the best place for him. But he's been brought up, put into a very difficult situation, put into put into a situation where he hasn't been with these teammates all year. He hasn't been adjusting to the NHL to the NHL level of play over time, and now he's thrust into it in the middle of the season where now the players are completely up to speed. Because there's an, there's an adjustment time for the experienced players, too, to start the season. They don't just come in and they're not in midseason form from, from game one. There's, there's an adjustment period. But he came in and was expected to be playing against everybody that is fully locked in now, and he's done very well. And I also talked about him. I said that uh, in in those podcasts that he has all the tools to be a top-four NHL defenseman. You look at his size. He's gotten bigger, too. He's bulked up, but he's got very good reach, and he's a, he's an incredible skater. Yeah, he's, he I might love be the best skater skate. in the whole system. Um, uh, I and, want... you, and you saw that in, you saw in several plays during – these games that he's played where he's jumped up into the play and taken two strides and, and been from blue line to blue line. It's it's pretty yeah. fun to watch that, and you can project him forward and see that as his instincts get stronger and stronger and he learns more about the NHL game, how much of a weapon that can be. Yeah, he's uh, been he's he's been fun to watch and kind of just just see what, you know, you hear his name, you know he's uh, – doing good down in uh the western hockey whatever he's in and uh it's been it's been interesting watching him i i I really wanted to see him i was really looking forward to see him against Connor mcdavid last night i wanted to see him skate against him but uh they they kept uh him out on ghoulies and franson were usually out against uh nugent hopkins uh, line there on Tuesday which I certainly understand and it may be more about not wanting to put Cody Franson out there against Connor McDavid because Cody Franson yeah. I've talked about him being a quality third pairing defenseman but he's he's not fast and he does struggle with speed and Connor McDavid one of the fastest players in the league it can scare you to think of what could happen him versus Connor McDavid one-on-one in open ice I thought McCabe did a pretty good job of uh, McDavid Tuesday night too. Definitely, definitely, yeah. He, he he uses his skating, and he's he is fast, but more importantly, I think for a defender, he's quick, and he's aggressive too, and he's very good with stick work as he's making an aggressive move at a forward, and yeah. forcing them to try to make a decision, and. He's because he's so good laterally, he can recover if he does lunge a little bit, um, and that's. That's great to watch from a defenseman. That's one of those skills, I think, too. It's very difficult to learn. It's one of those things unless you have or you don't. You have that quickness or you don't. And you can be aggressive or you struggle with being aggressive. So I've liked to see that from, from McCabe a lot. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, 
he's been he's been great and it's uh it's it's nice to know that I think that we're gonna see McCabe and Ristolainen even when Georges comes back. I think uh George is gonna find his way down on the third pairing, and that's what I'm hoping for. I mean Josh Georges is Josh Georges. He's he's what you get is what you're gonna what you what you see is what you're gonna get out of him. Uh he, and I think be, he has I think he has broken down too, and I think he has gotten progressively worse. And that's yeah. expected from a player of his size that plays the game that he plays, predicated yeah. on blocking shots. He was an undrafted player originally too, so it's never like he was a uh, a physical specimen by any means. But we've yeah. uh, but he with plays Matt Molson with Matt Molson we've discussed too how when you're not a great skater it that can erode very quickly and become a liability very quickly. And I think we're seeing that with Josh Georges right now, as as unfortunate as that is. Yeah. And he plays the game physical and uh him coming back hurt, I, I, I don't know how well he's going to be able to play his, his style of hockey. Um, I I think this team is going to be a lot better when uh, with just getting Bogo, uh, Kulikov back here. Uh, looking like we're going to get him back tomorrow night by uh, all signs pointed. And uh, I'm really excited to see him back in this lineup. He's going to be uh, He's going to be fun to watch. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you try to project this defense where they've done enough to keep this team's head above water, but they've had their struggles, obviously, with the names. If you look at the makeup of this defense right now and you think bringing back a quality top four defenseman should really make a world of difference. Yeah. And you think um, you can you can probably bring Kulikov back, and now you can pair him with Franson and then move Gouley down and – I guess probably would have Gooley and Falk. I'm not sure which one of them would play the right side, though. Yeah. Uh, well, because they're, they're both the Sabres, lefty. And the Sabres sent down uh, Ber- Bergendorfer. That's kind of a tough one to say there. He's um, he's the 33rd player the Sabres have dressed in a game this year, which is the most in the league. Uh, pretty... pretty uh, Pretty hard spot to, for this team to be defensively when you're bringing up Eric Bergerdorfer as a you know to come play against Connor McDavid. Not that he was on the ice that often, but you know what I'm saying. Certainly, yeah. And they've and they've tried to protect him. And let me see. I want to see how how much he played in that Washington game because I feel like I barely saw him out of the ice. He played ten minutes in that Washington game. Yeah. And. Did not look great when he was out there. He was getting a, a fairly regular shift in the first period, and then after that was getting very little time. I don't I don't have the breakdown of that 10 minutes, but that's just from from what I remember. Uh, yeah, so have to, to have to call up to, to have to call up the 11th defenseman in your organization because he's the 11th defenseman to play for them this year, and one of the people ahead of him is a prospect that they had to bring in from the Western Hockey League to play on an emergency recall basis. Uh, but to have to dress 11 defensemen is pretty incredible. I did want to make a point, and I've talked about this before, Murray not addressing depth. Uh, I know that you cannot prepare for needing to use 11 defensemen 26 games into the season. I know that that's not something that you prepare for, and the Sabres were going to be hit no matter if Murray brought in another two or three fringe-level defensemen. At the end of the day, they'd still be fringe-level defensemen 
playing up here. But I think Rochester would be in a far better position than it is right now. And the Sabres only have 12 defensemen under contract, uh, not counting Brendan Gooley. Obviously, they're using Gooley now, but he's going to have to go back to the Western Hockey League once uh, – I think once Georges comes back, he will have to return. I think that's the player that he replaced on an emergency recall basis. I don't want to say that with 100% fact yeah, because I don't have it in front of me, but he will not be able to be here over the long term, and Georges is approaching the point where he'll be able to return. So I'm not really counting him as being under contract because he's not at the Sabres' disposal over the course of the entire season. But they only have 12 players under contract, and every or 12 defensemen under contract, and every other team in this division – has 13, 14, 15 defensemen under contract, except the Ottawa Senators. And then the Ottawa Senators affiliate, the Binghamton Senators, their AHL affiliate, they are one of the worst teams in the AHL. In fact, they may be the worst team in the AHL points-wise, but if they're not the worst, they're very close to it. And I think not coincidentally because the de- their defense at the AHL level is pretty horrendous. Yeah. Um, the Sabres have, I believe, six contract slots available because you can have 50, 50 players under contract at the uh, on NHL contracts, and uh, they only have 44 players under contract at the present time. So there was room to add another defenseman or two on the cheap. They wouldn't have made a world of difference at the NHL level, and I understand that, but they, they we would not have had to deplete – Rochester to the point that we've had to and I do feel bad for those fans for having to struggle through that and then a lot of the forwards that the Sabres have down in the AHL level they're going to have to play with a worse defense it's a worse developmental position for them so I don't know why Murray is sitting with all these contract slots outstanding when a player like Matthias Backman was put on waivers by the Stars and he was brought up in the Red Wings organization he was part of the Eric Cole trade a deadline trade He's not yeah. necessarily, you know, a top six NHL defenseman, but at some of you could have claimed he was cheap, really no risk whatsoever, had him as your number seven. That's now another defenseman in the organization that could play a shift at the NHL level and keep you from having to call up the likes of, of Bergdorfer. Uh, and there were moves like that to be made. So I think I'm still critical of Murray for that reason. And I, I wanted to make that clear. I know that's a rant, and I haven't allowed you to talk for a while, so I want you to make your longest point here so that I stop talking. <laughs> oh, no, I've been, I've been enjoying it. Actually, uh, you're dropping some knowledge on me, which is, uh, which is always good and nice to hear, Mark. Uh, uh, I'm not too familiar with the, the, AH, the AHL around the league and uh, how many players you can keep on uh, signed and all that jazz, so that was pretty cool. Uh, I enjoyed it, so don't worry. Um, well, I think uh, I think these last uh, three ga- th- three games, actually watching them and going through the games, you can uh, make an argument that we're we're kind of lucky to be at three and one. Um, and sure, you can point out something. I mean, had three points out of the three games. You can point something out in every game that you might not agree with, and you know, going back to the Boston game, the hand pass on the Patrice Bergeron goal was uh, pretty ugly. Uh, calling, yeah, and I don't get why that's not reviewable. I don't understand, and I haven't looked back at the rule book, but that's that's what was said at the time, and I don't know if I've seen the, that the situation. Things, but I don't get. 
You can only review why two kicking things. is reviewable. Yeah, kicking. Well, no, not the coaches, not the coaches challenge, but the just the referees being able to review it. Oh, okay. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not sure how that worked out, but I mean, it clearly was uh, tipped tipped up in the air with a glove, and uh, no one seemed to bat an eye on that. That was uh, that was definitely far out, uh, and you know, it's a uh, it's, it's you know that that puck is uh, hard to keep a, an eye on sometimes. Yeah, and oh. I certainly understand that the referees making mistakes on the ice but we have these reviews and you look at that goal that the, that the Sabres had turned over in Washington on that offsides review and I couldn't tell what was happening live they give you no update whatsoever and I so I can only imagine what a casual fan that hasn't watched much hockey is sitting there thinking while this is going on I was thinking like yeah. was there goaltender interference on the play they're not showing it on the on the big screen I'm not yeah. listening to the radio or anything and I can't I was sitting on the other side of the ice. I couldn't really see that offside I was, play. I was watching it. Uh, I was watching it while I was uh, selling drinks down at the tap room, and uh, I could see that Larson was offside just before the puck even got before they even scored. And I was just, one of those moments you're just hoping the puck gets out of the, our offense our offense's zone for once. You know, one of the rare times you can say that because I knew he was offsides. And as soon as it went to the play, as soon as they scored, I'm like, all right, maybe they, no one noticed. And then they show uh, they show Washington's coach there staring at the TVs on the bench. And I'm like, oh, we're going well, to get that goal. And I definitely agree that it was offside. I watched it after the fact. But what I take issue with is you enter the zone, and then I believe three Washington Capitals players touched that puck before the Sabres scored. So at that point, what value did that zone entrance have prior to three Washington players touching the puck? What value did that have, and what what impact did that have on the goal ultimately being scored? I think very little yeah. impact, if not zero impact. But So you can review that, and you can waste people's time that are at the game reviewing a play that happened a minute beforehand or 45 seconds beforehand, or if not longer. I mean, you could have a, you could have oh, a yeah. multiple-minute shift and then have it be called back on an offside. And the Sabres uh, got that. So you can review that, but then you can't review a hand pass that results directly in the player scoring. I just don't I don't understand the logic behind those types of things by the NHL. It's one of the reasons why I think a lot of people are critical of the NHL. I think it's something that they definitely need to work on. Uh, it's, uh, it's, it's tough. And how many times last year did we see the Sabres – Go down because uh, offsides call that was in the puck for the zone. The puck was in the zone for a minute or two minutes after we entered the zone. It's a, uh, it's, it's a, it's a weird, uh, it's a weird rule, and I think it's something that the NHL needs to work on for sure. And but, yeah, uh, I don't know if that happens as often to other teams. It does seem like it happens to the Sabers a lot, and maybe we're biased. Maybe that's why I'm complaining about it. But I feel like even when the call goes the Sabers' way. I forget a few games ago there was a call that went the Sabres way where they challenged it. It was goaltender interference. Brian Gianta, I remember it. Gianta hit like scraped a goalie, and they actually gave it to us. I thought I thought we were screwed. That was uh, well. There was a there was a play where 
Yeah, there may have been another one that the Sabres won too. But it, when I was watching that, I still I'm not sitting there thinking, oh, I love that this challenge is in place, and oh yeah, the Sabres got that call. I'm I'm happy about it now. So I don't think it's that. I'm biased because it seems like more of these calls go against the Sabres than go in favor of the Sabres. So I would think I would probably have a similar opinion of it, even if I wasn't a fan of this yeah. team. It's just it's frustrating to watch, and I don't want to see the game slow down in that way. I can justify reviewing things that directly impact the goal being scored. Hopefully they're quick reviews and they're not taking five minutes to look at a particular play, but to have these offside challenges and – these plays where the referees can review it and then the coaches challenge it after the fact. I mean, it's just – it's a whole to-do that really disru- disrupts the flow of the game. Yeah, and it does. It's a brain it, – but, you know, it's also a very semi-new thing. You know, I think the coaches' challenge came out last year, if I uh, believe yep. so. And uh, and it's a new thing, you know, for uh, a, sport, a sport as great as hockey, the NHL needs to uh, – uh, figure it out, and that's only going to take time to get it right. Um, Hopefully, I'm I'm not sure if it's a uh, if if it's a system that can be patchworked into being something that actually helps the game, or if it just needs to be gotten rid of entirely. But I guess it remains to be seen. I think it's still going to be something they need to talk about a lot next off season. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so th- we got a, a game coming up Friday night. Um, I think Andrew Nel- Anders Nilsson played pretty good against Edmonton, even though he let in three goals. Uh, who do you expect to see net on uh, Friday night, which is tomorrow? I think they will go back to Leonard. Yeah, um, I think. Uh, I think they still do see him as getting. Maybe not the lion's share, but certainly the majority of the starts. And I think uh, yeah, I, they went with Nielsen on the back end of a of a back-to-back, which is typical. You would play your backup in one of those two games. Uh, but I think they will go back to uh, to Leonard for that game. I think uh, I think I want to see him go back to Nielsen. I think uh, I think the Sabers. I think you're right. They want you know they obviously want Leonard to be their guy. You know, Murray's chosen Leonard to be that guy, be the starting goalie, you know, starting 50 to 60 games a year. I don't see what's wrong with having two guys starting 40, you know, 40 games each, you know, or, four, you know, one starts, you know, four, 41 games each, you know. I, I, think, uh, I think these two goalies, I think you could start uh, friendly competition. I don't, I, don't, I don't say that it would get unhealthy want to see it get unhealthy but i think these two guys could uh push each other they're both uh they're both swedes they they're both big bodies that goal t- that play play the net uh pretty similar styles i think uh i'd like to see a little bit more uh thrown in nielsen's way I, that being said i have no problem with robin leonard either yeah it's an interesting stretch of games coming up here too because uh, it probably changes his way of thinking a little bit because they play on Friday, so they play tomorrow night, and they don't play again until Tuesday. And then they don't play again after that until, I believe, Friday again, if I'm remembering correctly. I'm, I'm looking to verify that. Yeah, then they play Friday again. So they only play Friday, Tuesday, Friday. 
And so I think they may think not playing Leonard in this game may cause him to be a little rustier than Nielsen. You know, Nielsen, it is only one game or one day later when Nielsen last started. But I think they may think, okay, we I want to keep both of these goalies relatively fresh. So we'll play Leonard on Friday, Nielsen on Tuesday, and then see how those two games go, figure out what we're going to do uh, on Friday. So yeah. that's kind of my thinking there. And then they have back-to-back games there. So obviously Leonard will get one of those and Nielsen will get one of those. So if you're trying to keep both of them fresh, I think that's how that's how I would be thinking in Bilesma shoes. Yeah. Um, I I think, you know, good point. Uh, it's, in, it's interesting to see what they do with these two guys because they both have been playing pretty exceptional. Um, and there's you can't point out and say one guy is better than the other. There's no there's no way of that. But uh But I think back, Nielsen Nielsen looking at it as a whole probably has played better as of late I agree. than Leonard. So I certainly get my first instinct with goaltenders is to want to ride the hot hand. I think they're very they're volatile, most of them, unless they are among the very best, unless they're among the elite in the league, which Robin Leonard and Anders Nielsen are not among the elite in the league that you want to ride a hot streak when a when a goalie is on that. So I get your instinct to move in that direction because it's the same instinct that I have. Uh, yeah. But I think I think they still do see Leonard as the starter. And if I'm trying to predict what Bilesma does, I think that's what it's going to be. Yeah. And sorry, I sorry I interrupted you. I know you were you were moving to another topic. I just wanted to oh. make make it clear that I can certainly un- understand your your line of reasoning. Absolutely. Uh what uh? What do you think about uh, being at being in Washington and that game going to overtime, and Ryan O'Reilly comes behind the net and three on three and feeds Rasmus Ristolainen beautifully in front in the slot where uh, a big hole was open that Holtby let open, uh, and Ristolainen fans on the shot. How was that for you on uh, Monday Night Mark? Well, I saw that play developing and I stood up in my seat. I was sitting. Those of you that know me uh, will not be surprised, but I was sitting in the very last row uh, of the upper bowl, so nobody was behind me. I actually like sitting up there, uh, but so I, I can stand up at will without having to worry about anybody being behind me. So I saw that play developing, and I stood up. You know, you're, you start to see a goal coming. It's like when you hear Rick Jenneret's voice gradually rise as he can he can sense, okay, if this pass happens, this is going to be when the goal scored, so I want to make sure I have a perfect crescendo leading up to when that goal scored. But it's frustrating, and that's how hockey is. And a lot of times a an, an inch or even a millimeter a lot of times can mean the difference between you winning and losing a game, and that was oh, one, yeah. of those, one of those instances. They happen to connect on a – you know, not a similar play. It wasn't similar in terms of where the pass came from or anything, but on a similar, you know, one-timer from a prime scoring position, and they connected. And yeah. sometimes that's a, yeah, that's the difference between you getting two points and you getting one. Yep. Um, I know we were talking earlier about the uh, some of Bilesma's decisions in overtime, uh, sending certain guys out. I was a little surprised myself to see uh, – Gooley go out even though he's been playing well on three and three overtime against Washington and not sending uh Ristolainen out there with about a minute and a half left to get this game to a shootout. Um 
Do you want to elaborate on uh, some of Bile, Coach Bilesma's uh, decisions anymore? Well, I think his decision there in overtime to not put Ristolainen out there is Ristolainen already had had considerable time on the ice yeah. in that overtime well, almost, period. And about I think, 30 minutes in, the, in that game, too. Yep, and he had already played a ton in that game, and I think he was starting to look ahead to the next game and uh, starting to think about, I'm playing tomorrow, and do I want to once again have have my top dog on defense be playing what's, this last minute and a half? I know what, sometimes, What's one more minute and a half in that point in the game when you're trying to get two points, though? I, I certainly understand. I'm trying to put myself in, in his head and, and – oh, what I'm thinking, if I'm in his shoes, is the point tonight is what matters when this team is in this position in the standings. And I'm going to ride Ristolainen, and I'm going to worry about tomorrow night when tomorrow night comes. Yeah. So that's what I'm thinking. Right now every point is so is so important for this team that you need to be trying to win those games in overtime, especially when you consider how bad this team is in the shootout. So I don't yeah. think it was the right decision by him, but I'm thinking – I'm trying to trying to think why he would make that decision, and I think he maybe also could have seen it as being a, a reward for Gooley, but I don't want time in that situation being used as a reward. I want them to try to win that game. It would be one thing if this team was at the top of the division, if this team was in, in comfortable position in the standings, then you can start to think that way and start to think about, okay, the health of my team over the course of the season, the the viability of my players the next day but I think you need to think a little bit shorter term right now yeah okay well uh I got uh one last question for you for uh this show Mark uh and then if you got anything fire to me anything to me if you want uh tomorrow night uh will you play Washington for the third time in a short span of time uh What's your uh, – we're going to be at home again. What's your uh, thoughts on Dmitry Kulikov coming back? It looks very likely that it's going to happen. Where do you see him fitting in on this Sabres defense? And then after that, I want to hear one bold prediction for the game. Okay. Um, well, I think he will slot similarly to what Gooley has played thus far. <laughs> maybe with a little bit additional uh, penalty kill time. But Gooley's been getting uh, 15, 16, 17 minutes around in that range at even strength. So I'd expect Kulikov right away to step in at about that point. It allows you then to play Gooley a little bit less, play him in more of a third-pairing role, maybe maybe bump him down to 13, 14 minutes at, at even strength. Uh, so I'd probably expect him to slide into that second pairing with Cody Franson All right. and ride that ride that pairing as your as your second pairing. Uh, I don't expect him to make a huge impact right away, but I think it will be just his presence will help at least a bit. But it probably will take time for him to to readjust completely. Then one bold prediction. Ah, uh, that's a tough one. Um. Throw anything at me, you know. It's it's bold. It's a bold prediction because it's bold. Um. Uh, that fourth line gets a goal, which okay. has been pretty rare. But uh, Derek Grant builds on 
a little bit of offensive success that he's had recently. Uh, they haven't mm-hmm. he hasn't played a whole lot, but but that that fourth line is able to chip one in. Uh, I don't know how I don't know how bold that is necessarily, but let's see. (laughs) I'm hoping that you have something on your mind where you're gonna you're gonna really trump me here. Uh, I'm gonna say that I'm gonna say that. Hmm. I really I wish I had something planned so I could sound smart, but uh, I guess I'm (laughs) I'm gonna go with uh, we're gonna see Ryan O'Reilly with three points tomorrow night. Uh, Wow, that would be that would be nice. Goal and two assists. Uh, what? Two points on the power play and one point at even strength. Wow, it'd be great to see the the power play continue to produce it at that rate, and maybe <laughs> maybe my bold prediction is they will not give up a power play goal. Ooh, that's pretty bold. I, I, I think I like that one a lot. That's something that uh, <laughs> we could definitely use. Uh, that's bold. I think you're... that's like on the. I think it's like on the level of the Bills winning the Super Bowl right now, though. That <laughs> the type of odds you'd have to give somebody to. <laughs> Jeez. They seem to give. They seem to give one up every game, regardless of, really, regardless of of what happens, of of how low scoring that uh, a particular game is. They didn't give up one up in the Boston game, but yeah. Um. So how, it's not as we... bold as it sounds. How nervous were you when? Uh... Being in Washington and watching Eichel skate, went back to the bench and seeing him, the uh, seeing him move around and yell. I don't know how well you could see it all the way up there in the top of the bowl, but I was pretty, uh, I was pretty upset at home watching the game at the bar and uh, while I was working, and I was thinking I'd rather go blind than watch the Bills for the next four weeks and watch the Sabres without Eichel. Yeah, that was my first thought too when you think of a high ankle sprain you think of something that's very easy to re-aggravate and it's something that can plague players for an entire season and so that's the first thing that popped into my mind is he's not going to be healthy all year I couldn't see him writhing in pain on the bench because I was so far away of course I did I did see people talking about it I had my phone with me and um, I could kind of see what what people were saying online but that was my first size he's not going to be healthy the rest of the year and without a healthy Jack Eichel this team's chances of being able to make any sort of run at the playoffs is extremely unlikely. It's unlikely enough as it is. Dun, dun, uh, I'm sure dun. probably similar thoughts were similar thoughts were flashing through your head. Oh yeah, I was uh, pretty upset about it. Uh, you know, wanted to you know kick everyone out of the bar that was watching the game and turn off all the lights and lock up and go home and sit in my room by myself and think. So, well, it would have been that was it would have been pretty. Think about how much excitement there was when he came back, and you finally thought, okay, th- this team is sort of together again. But if you lose him, especially so soon after him coming back, I, I think you would have people immediately checking out on the on the rest of this season. Already twenty, yeah. well, it was less than twenty six games, twenty five games in at at that point in time. Yeah. Uh, so I, I, thankfully he's okay, and he looked like himself in that Oilers game. He looked like he was skating normally. Yeah. So I don't know what they did during that period of time. Maybe just a, a night of rest helped him, but you know he looked he looked pretty good. And it has to be tough, you know. Too another thing I've noticed about Jack since he's since the Capitals game, where you know it really got in everyone's head. It's like, oh yeah, he he is still injured. You know, he's still you know he's still vulnerable. It's uh. 
watching him take watching him line up for the power play shots or just a shot in general he had the high ankle sprain on his left foot so uh his left ankle i should say um and he's a righty so he's shooting off that left foot and he's putting all his power on that left foot so it's gonna affect his shot too and you know when you i mean when i think of jack eichel i think shot i think speed shot and uh elusiveness you know so it's gonna you know he it's it's you're dealing with uh you know a 75 percent 80 percent jack eichel until he gets you know maybe a little healthier after new year's is what i'm thinking yeah and i think that's that's optimistic to think that um he will be 100 percent even by then maybe i'm being too pessimistic no I don't, no definitely i not. don't he know won't be. He but won't be but i I would be surprised if he actually is at 100% for the rest of this season because he came back a lot quicker than people expected him to. And it's happened so often where these injuries have lingered, and maybe they don't linger to the extent where you have to miss more games, but it's a, it, it's something he's going to have to be thinking about that's going to be on his mind constantly. That's always going to be a distraction keeping him from being the being 100% of the player that we know that he is. Uh, so that will be something to watch, something to monitor. But I'm not trying to dr- drive myself crazy <laughs> thinking about it either because it's completely, it's completely, it's almost completely by chance, basically, yeah. and it's not something that anybody can control. Yeah. So we'll see. it's almost not worth it for us to probably <laughs> discuss it too much and probably depress people listening to us where they just want to hear all the good things about about Jack Eichel. You're going to go watch Pink Floyd The Wall for two days straight, and then we'll see how you feel about being depressed. <laughs> um, That's true. Yeah, that would probably do far more than uh, than any Jack Eichel injuries would do. Uh, I don't know. Some of these Buffalo fans take their hockey pretty serious, Mark. Some of them take, <laughs> some of them take their uh, Pink Floyd pretty seriously too, though. Um, you got anything to throw off at? throw at me before uh, we end this uh, segment or you got anything to add on or um, I did want to talk about a Dan Bilesma mistake and a glaring mistake that I haven't seen many people talk about I'm sorry for everybody that I'm in kind of complain mode today but he really frustrated me in that Capitals game and that game was winnable we talked about they outplayed the Capitals for a good portion of that game. I, I could have seen it going either way. There were stretches where the Capitals were just dominating, where it looked like they were on a power play for six, seven minutes straight. Uh, but the Sabres I think overall agree did with enough me, to Mark. Uh, sorry, I think you would agree with me. I think that's the Sabres' best game out of the last three. It was a uh, Monday night against the Washington. I definitely agree. Yeah, I think um, they didn't deserve to win that Boston game. They were, they were flat for a lot of that game. And... Uh, I know this is a cliche word, but too many passengers. And I think you had the same thing happening in that second and third period of the Edmonton game, and they happened to do what they needed to do to get it to overtime and win the game, but they were outplayed for a majority of that game. Uh, but Washington, you can make a pretty good argument that they were the better team that night. Washington's a good team. They figure out a way to win those games where maybe they don't put their best, their best foot forward. Uh, but what Bilesma did, and I don't know if anybody else caught this. I should have gone back and looked at the shift. I wanted to have the facts completely in my favor here, but I'm but I'm going to be estimating the length of this shift. But it was with seven minutes left 
about seven-something minutes left, and the Sabres were hemmed in their own zone for, I want to say, over a minute, between a minute and a minute and a half is my estimate. I'll look it up before I type up the summation, and I'll put a correction if that's not if that's not correct. But the Sabres iced the puck after being hemmed in their zone for a while, and they come back to line up. You know, after an icing, the players can't change, but the players go to the bench, expecting Bilesma to call his timeout. And there's, about, there's about seven minutes left, and of course... That's what you're thinking. That's conventional wisdom. You take a timeout there. You let your players rest. You, the chances of you needing to use that timeout in a challenge-type situation are smaller. I can understand if there's maybe 15 minutes left where you would really think about it, but seven minutes left and you're up two to one. But he didn't call his timeout. The players went out there, and I'm like, I said to, to the friend that I went to the game with, I said, they're going to get scored on here. And then the girl in front of me who was a Sabres fan, she – Gave me a dirty look. I said, don't, don't say that. I said, Bilesma, I don't know what he's doing, why he didn't call a timeout there. The players were even expecting him to do it. And, of course, they take a penalty. They almost get scored on right away off the faceoff, basically, and then they take a penalty soon after, and the Caps score on the ensuing power play. Yeah, so it's that, little things like that that can make a difference between your team making the playoffs and your team being on the outside looking in, and it just drove me crazy. And that was the play that uh, I was speaking of when it went uh... – when uh, when uh, John Carlson took the shot and Evander Kane got caught down low, and uh, I want to say it was Marcus Johansson who deflected the puck in after uh, Carlson's shot. It uh, was, yep. Yeah. And, and that, uh, yeah, that was on the ensuing power play, so I wasn't really in that rant thinking about the power play itself, but everything that led up to that power play was just it was, maddening. It was bad. Just Dude, drove was, me nuts. They were, they were in our zone for like two and a half minutes. I could... I'm estimating, but it was bad. Um, and yeah, I feel like of, I was estimating on the low end, saying a minute to a minute and a half. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, uh, but you know, enough about the bad. I want to bring up one last thing. I, um, I'm gonna in the last three games, I'm gonna give my, I'm gonna talk about my favorite play here, real quick, real short. Um, was Tuesday night. Um, Marcus Fle- Marcus Foligno gets the puck, brings it in uh, the right hand side, and uh, c- brings the puck back in at about the face off dot. Uses his body and goes back out wide and puts the puck on his backhand and flips it to Brian Gianta, uh, who uh, just pokes the puck in and gets it past uh, Talbot. There, uh, I thought Marcus Foligno. Uh, play has been great he's uh he's only I think he only skated about 13 minutes last game but uh man that was a refresh refreshing cool play I you know I love just simple plays like that is uh what this team needs to make to keep continue to make if they want to make a uh be a contender for that last playoff wild card spot definitely and we've seen a lot of that from from Marcus Foligno being tough on the forecheck and really developing into the player that we hoped that he would be. We saw flashes of it when he first came up. And I had talked on the show prior to you and I doing this together, but in some of these stretches when I first started the show where Foligno was invisible for eight, eight to ten games, and I thought, I don't know if he's ever going to shake this. I don't know if he's ever going to be consistent enough to be worth – 
paying what you need to pay him to be worth keeping him around, and maybe he should be another team's project to deal with. But he has turned it around so quickly from then. Of course, he was listening to me, and he's like, oh, well, you know, I've got to be consistent <laughs> so that I can get that Mark Geist to, to stop talking about me. Yeah. Uh, but he, he's, he, he's become one of the most consistent players on this team so quickly. Oh. So really kudos to him. And yeah, I, I love it's, watching It's great to play. see a, a guy that seems very likable off the ice to succeed and succeed where his dad succeeded. It's got to be difficult to try to live up to his reputation. Uh, and, you know, I'm sure there's a competition with his brother too, but he's really developing a nice niche for him, uh, for himself here in Buffalo. Mm-hmm. I want to see him protected. So, I, uh, I mean, they got to re-sign him too. I mean, he, he, he signed a bridge deal, and I think he's uh, – he could make, sign that deal. He might be uh, d- doing himself some favors this year. Yeah, yeah, and that's the the risk you took from a from a Buffalo perspective. If you're thinking about what's good for the team, probably is good from the fans' perspective. But yeah, he will be a restricted free agent after this year, and probably will be looking at a nice payday. Though they're gonna have to make a a, deci- a decision on him. I don't think. Another bridge deal is probably appropriate if he continues this level of play up for the rest of the year, and you probably have to start thinking about making a longer-term commitment to him. And longer-term, you're probably going to have to talk about uh, bigger dollars as well. But I definitely think he's he's on the protect list as of now. And, uh, you know, I think Larson and Felino right now are, are no-doubters. They're in that top four. And then I, I think of Evander Kane – if you're doing seven, three, and one, which I think you would be doing right now, assuming Dmitry Kulikov isn't re-signed, but it would be O'Reilly, Oposo, Larson, and Felino, uh, and then Kane, Gergensens, and Carrier up front, Ristolainen, and McCabe, Bogosian on the back end, and then Leonard and Goal. Yeah, um, those would um, be my those would be my players right now, and you'd be leaving Justin Bailey, Molson, Ennis, Georges. Delorier would be the and uh, Linus Olmark would really be the the non unrestricted free agents you'd be leaving unprotected in that in that uh, projection. Yeah, yeah, definitely. But uh, we should uh, save that uh, conversation because I could go on about this expansion draft for a while, and I don't want to stutter over stutter all over the microphone right now. Uh, <laughs> so I'm uh, I'm exci- I'm excited. It's gonna be a lot of fun to talk about that in the future so i'm uh yeah as much as it'll hurt to lose somebody it is very interesting to talk about and that was one of my favorite things as a young kid when they were doing the, the last expansion drafts back when uh the blue jackets came into the league that would have been the last time that happened and i thought it was so cool then but now they're going to be a lot better players available than there ever were in any of those expansion oh, yeah. drafts so yeah it will be it will be interesting to talk about and i apologize for throwing that out there but um, I wanted to show how, you know, I think Larson and Felino, who we talked about both in terms of uh, them being definite protects, how high up on that list they are for me. And I don't think there's really any chance that they're left unprotected barring huge changes to this roster or if they fall apart down the stretch. Yeah. Yep. Um, well, we got uh, Washington on Friday, and then we got, I can't remember who the next game is, but it is home. And then we have another home game, and then we go on the road. So uh, yep, Buffalo it is, is um, it's our lo- the Kings, I believe, on on um, Tuesday. 
and then it is the Islanders on Friday. I will verify that real quick. I believe that's yeah. and that's our that's, that's correct. That tie, yep, that ties uh, for us for our longest homestay. Four games. We have another four game homestay later in the season. So, oh, okay. Well, that's so, that's good so to know. We, yeah. Important games. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, and so yeah, it is the Kings and Islanders. So the Kings on Tuesday at seven Eastern time, and then the Islanders at home. Obviously, still in that home stand at seven o'clock Eastern time. And these are going to be those are winnable games, and it should be interesting to see what the Sabers can do with uh, with uh, teams like that. Um, New York has struggled. Um, LA wasn't good off the get go, and they're missing some guys. Uh, you know, maybe Lucic is uh, was more. They maybe they wish they could have had the money to get Lucic back. I just love seeing saying Lucic's name at the moment, just because Ristolainen lined him up on the boards Tuesday night. <laughs> Made my day. That is always nice to see. Yeah, he's one of those guys. No matter what team he plays for, Buffalo fans will never like. And shame on the uh, Sabres fans for voting the McCabe hit on Connor McDavid in the c- center of the ice. The crew of a collision hit at the game because it was real in on Lucic all day long. They should be ashamed of themselves. Yes. Shame on you Sabres fans that were at the game. <laughs> so you so you did well showing up so much for that or sh- showing up so well for that Capitals game, but you kind of lost it all by voting against the Lucic hit. So yes. you're kind of yeah. you're kind of back where you were in my mind previously. <laughs> so, <laughs> they cancel right. each other out. <laughs> um, did okay. we want to talk about emergency recalls at all before? I remember I, I had a tab open on my computer just uh, up, and do we want to discuss that or save that for the next podcast and uh, let's, let's, discuss let's, why Ghoulie's up? Let's save it for the podcast. I got my dog laying on me. He's right, he's looking at me like, dude, what's up with you? What were you doing? <laughs> Who are you talking <laughs> to? <laughs> he's demanding attention. Oh yeah, well that well that sounds good to me. We're already over an hour at this point, so uh, yeah. probably probably best to not have another long conversation. I've I've already talked too much on this one, so oh it's all right. Save that was, to talk was, about next time. Yeah, it was it was all good. Uh, we uh we thank everyone who's made it this far of us tonight. And uh, we'll look forward to uh, talking to you guys again soon. Definitely. Yep. Thank you for being with us. And please go out and subscribe to us on the iTunes store. We are now available by request on Google Podcasts. So you can subscribe to us through there. And we should be on virtually all or at least most podcast aggregating apps. And if there's anything that we're not available on, please comment on the website or let one of us know via Twitter or Facebook or however you've come acquainted with the show, let us know and we'll, and we'll get it available on that service so that you can, you can find it and listen to it as easily as possible. Ask and so, you shall receive. <laughs> so thank you very much and have a fantastic weekend. Yeah. Go. Let's go Buffalo. <laughs>